Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. All right, welcome to the next episode of Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs. I'm an alcoholic. I'm your host today. Uh, just a friendly reminder, I'm going to continue plugging the ratings and reviews. They really, really help the podcast get known for those that aren't already subscribing and following for anybody that just pops up on their general queue. It just helps become a suggestion for people that don't already know about us. So you can check it out on Apple podcast, iTunes, uh, speaker box, cast box, pod chaser, just all ways that you can leave a rating and review, but Apple podcast is really the, the best one. It's the most relevant in the podcast world as far as helping us out. So if you can do that, leave a rating, leave a review. I'm going to start reading those ratings and reviews, or I'm sorry, the reviews right here on the podcast. I'm going to start reading them live. So if you want to hear your name and you want a little shout out, we'll show you a little love again. Thank you so much. We appreciate you all. Uh, the podcast now is that they were recording this. We are now up to 23 countries that we have been downloaded in. So really, really excited about that. And today's guest, we are going to have Robert. So Robert is just a little bit of a backstory. He is the older brother of a previous guest from a, a couple episodes ago uh, that you heard, Michael. And when we stopped recording that episode, Michael brought something up to me. He goes, hey, Migs, I've been listening to all of your podcasts. I've been doing homework. And, you know, I was listening to the earlier ones where you asked, people to name, you know, five athletes or people that they look up to in either the recovery or the fitness world. And he said, I had my answer all ready to go. I wanted to say my older brother, Robert, in, in both worlds for both recovery and fitness. And I said, oh shit, my bad. I forgot to ask you that question because it's something I haven't really done with a lot of guests lately. Um, but either way, it really got us talking about Robert and then wanting to, he wanted to connect us and thought that he had a great story to share. I believe if you also listen to that episode, you know that Robert also is um, my kind of guy as far as the endurance athlete and in the running world. And so we're just going to have a lot of cool stuff here. So this is my first time getting to see Robert on camera and getting to hear his story. So I'm really looking forward to this again today. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and bring him in. And Robert, thank you so much for being with us today. How you doing, brother? I'm okay, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Like I said, super excited about this one. I think this is the first time that we have. And actually, I mean, we've had some people suggested by other guests for me to go ahead and interview them, which have worked out. But I think this is the first time that we're actually having blood relatives and it's siblings. So this is this is super, super cool. Right. On. Um, I'm really excited about this. And like I told you before we started, uh, there's there's some big shoes to fill because Michael he can talk, he can tell some stories and he's just not, he's not one of those people that just like rambles and you get lost and you get bored and whatnot. Like, man, that guy had some fucking stories. I remember the literal very second we stopped recording. As soon as I was done with that stop button and I was done talking to him, um, we have like, I have in my fantasy football league, we have like a chat thread that just stays up all year long. We talk about anything and everything. It's way more than just football. And as soon as I got done, I'm in that chat thread and I'm like, holy shit, this guy I just interviewed, his story is insane. And I'm just dropping all the names of people that he like talked about getting to meet, you know, um, in, including uh, I think it was was it uh, oh, Hakeem 
And I was just like, man, the guy, the, the people that this guy has met in his journey is just unbelievable. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, definitely go back. It's a longer one, but damn, it's good. Um, so anyway, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from and what you do for a living? Well, um, thank you for that, that intro, definitely big shoes to fill. My brother's definitely, uh, influential in my life. And uh, I hope that I, I represent, uh, all that he expected of me and, and, and you as well. Uh, my name is Robert. Uh, I'm 52 years old. Um, I currently live in Pennsylvania. I, um, you know, have a nine to five and um, in recovery, 12 step program. I try to use fitness. Um, at first it was a, it was a substitute, right? Cause you, you put the, uh, the drug down and, you know, I had to pick up something else and it just so happened to be um, endurance, uh, uh, endurance running. Um, I'm just a normal guy, man. Uh, just a normal guy who, who tries to you know, literally live one day at a time and uh, just try to get better um, in, in each one of those days and just try not to be the person I was yesterday. One day at a time. I absolutely love it. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a theme somewhere, but I don't know. Maybe it'll come back to me. Maybe it'll click. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and summarize? I know you told uh, told me that you had your first experience with a drink or a drug at the age of eight. So why don't you go ahead and however you want to, however you want to do it, kind of summarize the first seven, eight years of your life up until that day. Sure. Um, you know, I, I grew up in, in um, Durham, North Carolina. Um, you know, my, my father uh, it was a, he went to Duke University uh, on a scholarship, athlete, on an uh, academic scholarship at the age of 16, right? Um, and what sport talking, did he play? He did, no, it was academic. Uh, he oh, ac you, no, you he, did say that. <laughs> he, uh, he didn't play a sport, but, you know, he, he got there because of his book smarts. And you're talking... Um, you're talking in, in the mid to early 60s that this happened, right? So it wasn't easy for you know, a, a black male to get an academic scholarship to Duke University in the 60s wow. in the South, right? Um, my mother, um, you know, she, she was from Queens, New York. She um, went to a historically black college, also in Durham, North Carolina. And that's where they met. And they just, you know, really started a family with a, with a young uh, you know, young kid uh, named Robert, myself, and uh, really had the all-American life, right? You know, my both my parents worked hard. Um, again, you're talking uh, early 70s uh, in the South, and um, father had an opportunity, moved to New Jersey, Somerset County. And at the time, it was a pretty, you know, uh, I won't say an affluent um, county in New Jersey, but it was, uh, it did, it did really well. And, um, so I, I came, I had really good upbringing. I had really good models, my whole family. Um, my, uh, my father's brother, uh, he, he thought, and his family followed the same path. So I really had, you know, great examples of, of family and, and, and male leadership uh, in my family. Um, and, you know, just a normal kid, you know, played football, basketball and baseball as a kid, right? And, um, you know, I would go to, you know, I, I, you know, I, I grew up, right? <laughs> I grew up watching, 
you know, Dukes of Hazard, right? And loving the General Lee, right? And not understanding the context of like what the General Lee really stood for, that, that, that Confederate flag on the roof. And my mom's like, you didn't realize what that is? I'm like, yeah, it's the best car in the world. Like, you know, but not realizing, like, you know, the context behind it. Didn't yeah, care, you're a right? kid, you're but, innocent. Who cares? Yeah, I was innocent, right? But again, that's just, that's just, uh, how clueless I was as a kid, right? I, I had no idea and uh, it didn't matter at the time. Um, but, you know, I just just grew up being a kid loving, you know, to go out and, you know, beat up Michael, probably, you know, that was my part-time job, right? You know, <laughs> making sure he got, you know, the best of the bigger brother, um, you know, the, the older brother beat down. So I had a, I couldn't have had a, a better life as, as, as a kid and, um, I really thank my both my parents uh, for the the model uh, that they provided me and the in the infrastructure and the, and the environment that I grew up in. For sure, and I definitely want to point that out again as well because I'd say with, with all of our guests, it's like, you know, it's like fifty fifty, and it's it's really such a split. And I think we notice this among like a lot of addicts, alcoholics, anybody in recovery. Um, you know, it really is so split as far as you know. You have people that come from. My parents were, my parents used drugs and alcohol around me and I experienced it my whole life. And, you know, people then we can, we can make assumptions or we can say, all right, well, that's how that happened for you. You know, you were exposed to it your entire life. So, you know, you lived with an alcoholic or a drug addict. So it's easy to figure out that you picked up a drink or a drug. And then you have the other side of the spectrum where we have just as many guests on here and out in the world that are like, my mom and dad, you know, they didn't do that around me. They tried everything possible to keep me away from it. You know, they were college educated. They did everything possible to give us the best possible upbringing. And it doesn't matter. It's still fine. So it just goes to show you that drugs and alcohol, it doesn't care who you are, where you're from, what your parents did to try and raise you, what your religion is like. It really doesn't give a shit if it wants you. And, and your brain is wired in that way. It will get you and it will wrap you in. It will suck you in and it will just, it'll take a lot out of you and you have to fight out of it. And, and again, that's something that we noticed too. When, when Michael told his story, he made it very clear, you know, this isn't something that picked up because of the way my parents raised me. And, you know, they, they tried to give me everything and this is just what happened. And this is just life. And it's, that's, that's the case for so many people. And it, you know, obviously it's the case for you with having the same parents, but it's, it's just, it really is, you know, the flip of a coin as far as like, you, you can't just look at somebody who tells you, oh, I've been doing drink drugs and this and that for this long. Oh, well, you must've came from this background. Like you really can't judge that and figure it out until you hear someone's story. Cause you really have no idea where they came from, what they were, what their upbringing was or what triggered them or started them down the path. Cause it really is different for everybody. And it's definitely not a, a common denominator by any means. So when you were eight, what, what was your, what was your first experience? Was it a drink? Was it a drug? Why don't you tell us about that? You no. Know, so, um, you know, given my father uh, was from the South, right. And uh, you know, his, his mom uh, and dad were still uh, down there. I think my grandfather may have passed at the time, but, um, I'd go back down to the south and, and, and spend some time the summer uh, with my uh, with, with my grandmother, my father's mother. And um, also his brother was still down there and he had a family. So I had a cousin down there. And, um, you know, we just hook up every every summer and 
just have a good time. But, you know, the first part of the summer, right, you know, growing up there, you're talking like, you know, in Salisbury, North Carolina, you're talking about like, a, like going back in time, right? You're talking like, it was almost as if they were still in like, um, almost like in their 40s and the 50s. You could definitely tell looking back on it, there was definitely a segregated uh, community. Um, so it was very, um, very traditional. Uh, my grandmother, um, you know, God rest her soul, she was extremely strict, right? And she believed in the switch, right? And she believed in making <laughs> you go get it, right? She believed in making you go get the switch to, to, and making sure it was a proper one so that you got a proper beat down. Just, just to enlighten, for some of our listeners who might be a little bit younger or might not be from the South or just might not be familiar with exactly what that means, because I'm very familiar, but why don't, why don't you tell our listeners exactly what you're referring to? Okay, so thank you for asking, right? And I don't want to gloss over that with a minimum of concern, right? So a switch is a is a branch from a tree right and we're not talking um you know a a, a you know two inches thick right we're talking about a uh particularly off a off a rose bush right you're talking about probably a three foot uh branch um almost like a fishing rod, often like a fishing rod right but you about the size of a fishing rod um that you know you get off of, you break off of a off of a tree or a shrub and you clear it of all of the leaves and any of the debris so that you have a proper rod, right? And it's from that it's a spare, you know, uh, spoil, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? But my grandmother, um, she would take a switch and she would have some at the ready. And then she would have to go out there after she beat us with a couple, <laughs> she'd have to go get some, acquire some new ones, right? So, um, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a, a tool in which we were disciplined with, uh, with, um, with reckless abandon. Um, so that's the kind of environment that my, you know, my mom and dad would, you know, be like, all right, bye, and drop me and Michael off and then head back to New Jersey. And there were Michael and I are for six, seven weeks down in the South uh, with my grandmother, who is uh, well-versed in the switch. And, um, you know, when, when, you know, take a step back, right, when you would get hit with it, right? It wasn't like it would like wrap around your whole leg or wrap around your arm, right? So that's how flexible it was, but wouldn't break, right? So it was this tool that would this it would it would strike you maybe on your forearm, but it would wrap around the whole arm. So it definitely inf inflicted uh, some memories uh, and something that I will um, I will never uh, forget. But um, you know, one day you know we would go to summer camp and. Um, you know, after summer camp was over, right? There were some older kids um, sitting at a, at a, just at a park bench. And, um, you know, I think one of them may have said like, uh, hey, you know, you want a, you want a beer? And um, I'm like, as if like, you know, I was, you know, I was, I was like an, an adult, right? You just see, I don't know, the kid may have been more than maybe he was 13, something like that, and looked at me. And I was kind of big for my for my age. So, but he just looked at me and said, you want a beer? And I'm like, sure. Without like even, you know, small hesitation, but yeah, like, of course I do. And, um, you know, passed him as a Budweiser, never forget it. Passed it to me, you know, um, popped it open, like I knew what I was doing. And, and you know, 
took a big sip of it, got that hit in the back of the head right for the very first time drinking alcohol. And um, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, this is what my parents and everybody else I see doing. Okay, this is the taste that they are experiencing. Okay, cool. Oh, he, and then he pops open some Newports and throws me one. I'm like, sure, right? Like, I know what I'm doing, right? So, you know, before I know <laughs> it, I'm, I'm, I'm having my first beer, my first cigarette all in one sitting. And I'm like eight years old. Um, you know, 800 miles away from home, um, under my a strict grandmother's guidance, um, behaving in a manner that is completely unbecoming of the kid that I just described to you in the beginning uh, of, of this podcast. So, but having this feeling like of like, almost like I've arrived, right? Almost this feeling like, um, you know, I've made it, right? And, um, that was my first experience and and um, that really started me down on a, on a, on a, on a path that uh, I, I, it took me probably 30, almost 40 years to, to get away from. Wow. So now when you, when you had that first experience that day, was it like, was it immediately like, Hey, the next day you want to try and figure out how we can get more beers and more cigarettes again? Or was it like, I kind of feel like shit. And then you take a few days away from it or like, how, how was that for you? Was there time in between your first few use, uh, uses or was it just like straight out the gates, like a racehorse and right on it? No. So, um, after that day, it was like, okay, cool. Uh, again, remember I'm, I'm under uh, my grandmother's, you know, care and, and I, and I got away with one. Right. So, um, I was careful not to, not to expose myself and, 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 you know, get in trouble the next time. Cause I knew what I was doing was wrong. And, and I knew that, um, uh, I couldn't continue this, but like, you know, getting away with one. Right. And I didn't, you know, I think maybe the next day, uh, I may have went in the area and see if that kid was there again. And if he were to have one, I probably would have, you know, drank one, but I didn't go on this mission to find another beer and cigarette. Um, but I tell you what, what did happen to me um, was that started a path of like enjoying something, right? And keeping it a secret um, so that I could enjoy it again uh, without anybody knowing and getting in trouble, right? And um, my disease um, didn't really start to manifest itself in drugs and alcohol right away. It, it really, it really um, manifested itself in, um, in, in sex. And, um, you know, I, uh, I found um, um, some magazines, some stag magazines, like straight old school 50s, 60s, uh, military stag, you know, magazines, and then had these, you know, these portraits of these, uh, of these whip girls in it. No, I had bathing suits on, nobody was really naked, but it started the mind going like, okay, like, let me, let me, let me, creep in here, check these magazines out in my, in my, in my, in my grandmother's house. Right. And, and, and make sure I put them back. So that way I'm not revealed. Right. And every time I, you know, go there or what's that became my, I want to see that again. Right. That became that beer or that cigarette. I was like, I want to see that again. I want to see that again. And, um, you know, an opportunity presented itself where a babysitter, um, came into my room and I, again, I'm like eight, you know, nine years old. And this all this happened like within like a year or two, man. And babysitter came in my room and, and she 
you know, got in my bed and she just started to like take her clothes off. And I'm like, like, wait, wait, what is this? But then I remembered the book, right? I remembered the book, the magazines that I saw and I was like, oh, I can get to see her, you know, naked like this. So I, I was like, okay, perfect. And, um, but, you know, she started to, you know, touch me and I wanted to touch her and all of a sudden, but I realized she had like, you know, pubic hair. I'm like, wait, hold on. I don't even have that. You have that? You got to go. He's like, you got to go. So I kicked her out, right? Again, I'm like eight years old. I kick her out. And um, so when she left it, she said something. She said, you're going to have this too, blah, blah, blah. And uh, once I kicked her out, I started to think, man, I was like, I think I missed a golden opportunity here. I'm like eight years old, but I'm thinking this way. And um, I missed a golden opportunity. And I was like, the, the next time this happens to me, I'm not going to miss this again. I'm going to capitalize on this opportunity. And within a year, that opportunity came in the form of, um, of, a, uh, of, a, of um, another girl um, presented herself. And I was like, I'm, I am capitalizing on this. Now, again, remember, like, I'm, I'm like a nine-year-old kid. That, that, that beer and that cigarette set me on a path of like, in, enjoy things that you're really not supposed to enjoy secretly right? Don't go blabbing to your brother. Don't be going blabbing to your cousin. Don't be blabbing to your friends, right? Keep this to yourself, right? Because if, if, you know, loose, li loose lips sink ships. I realized that really early on. And um, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not ruining this opportunity. So I'm going to keep this to myself and I'm going to enjoy this. And um, that is where my, um, my behavior, uh, my addictive behavior really started because that is what I really wanted more of over and over and over again. And that, that whole situation uh, lasted me probably like two years of, um, of uh, you know, secretly um, having sex with this other girl who's like 15 years old, you know, six years older than me. And um, that was my fix, right? That's what my fix was. And um, I, I listen, you know, Migs, I'm pretty sure you had no idea that this was coming. So I hate to throw you this curveball. Oh, no, this. you're good. I mean, <laughs> it, that's that's the thing with a lot of these interviews is I don't know what's coming because I don't know. I don't know your life story. And that's that's the, the coolest thing about these interviews is that, you know, I'm learning along with our listeners. A lot of times like this is this is natural reaction. Like like you just said, this isn't something that I prepped you. And I was like, tell me your life story. We're going to use this and we're not going to use that. Like you can you can speak for our listeners to know I'm not lying. The preparation of this interview was about 45 seconds. When was, when was your first drink or drug? When was your sober date? And do you have a hard out time? Right. You don't have to watch your language. Do you have any questions? Record. That's, that's the preparation of these interviews. Cause I want these to be as natural and as raw as possible. So no, man, you are, there is, there is never, there is never too much to talk about on here. As long as you're comfortable with it, brother, tell your story, man. And, and, I, and the reason I kind of wanted to bring that up is because, um, you know, and I'll kind of fast forward a little bit, you know, going through the process of recovery, when I, I thought that was something I would take to my grave, right? And when I found out that there were some me too's out there, there were some other people that could identify with what I was going through, maybe not the same exact thing, it made me feel a little bit, um, it made me feel okay, it made me feel safe. And um, so, you know, that's why I, I kind of brought that up, but, um, 
you know, again, I'm, I'm like 10 years old, uh, you know, and I'm not telling anybody this. To, it makes, to, to be honest, with you, to this day, my parents don't even know about this, okay? It's not something that I, um, that I have shared, um, but it is something that, you know, that I have definitely kept to myself, but it affected me in, in, in a great deal. And, um, you know, once that stopped, there was a void that, that I had. And, and I needed to fill that void with something. And um, that void presented itself in the form of, of um, you know, alcohol, I think at the age of like 14. And, you know, like many other stories I've heard, you know, parents had a liquor cabinet. My parents weren't very big drinkers, um, which kind of made it really, really, really hard to do because you know, if there's missing alcohol, like they're going to notice, right? If you pour water in the alcohol bottles to replace it, they're going to notice, right? So that didn't stop me. So I think that was my first like way that I started to fill this void that was left from this sexual experience that I had. And um, when that first hit, when I had that first jungle juice of, of mixing alcohol in one glass, right? Um, that was that first feeling, that warm hug, right? That warm, like, oh, this is all right. And that, and that, 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 um, that intoxicated feeling that I got, um, that started to be this, okay, I want to do this. I want to do this. And, um, you know, that, that progressed into, um, you know, marijuana. And uh, to take it, the funny thing is, you know, I first grew up in, in, in North Carolina. Then I moved to um, Somerset County, New Jersey. And then my parents, they moved, they, 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 they saw the progression of, of uh, the school system in Somerset County. And they were like, you know, we got to get our kid out of here, right? They don't, they didn't like the path that was taking. So they're like, well, let's, let's, let's move them into the, into the boondocks of Hunterdon County, right? Where there's nothing but farmland. And, and, and cornfield, right? So um, they moved me out there to, um, you know, quote unquote, give me a better life and, and keep me away from trouble. But now I don't know, I don't know much about that area that you're speaking. So to just kind of, you know, I guess to be blunt on my end, when you say they didn't want you there, was this, was this a matter of this is turning into like crime and we want to get them away or this isn't safe for a young black man to be in because it's it's like a racial thing or like which this is this is crime uh this is okay. crime drugs um i gave my, my mother uh you know she was she was one of the the first um you know female detect female police officers in durham north carolina okay so she, you know, when we moved to New Jersey, she became um, a police officer in that area. And she saw firsthand some of the, you know, the crime that was going on in, the, in our neighborhood. And she's, she's arresting and she's staking out um, um, families that send their child to a high school that I'm going to end up going to, right? So she's okay. seeing all of this stuff firsthand. And she's like, you got to get her kid out of here. That makes sense. So they pick us up and migrate us to, you know, again, Hunterdon County, New Jersey, which again is nothing but um, sticks, the woods, farmland. Um, and 
you know, little did I, you know, little did I know, uh, it was also number five in High Times Magazine for homegrown marijuana. <laughs> so um, I got my hands on some of that, you know, real quick. And that's when it was like, okay, uh, this is, I like this. This is real cool, right? Uh, I don't get that sick, that sick feeling from the alcohol, right? Because I think I could drink maybe six beers. Um but you know that smoking that 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 joint was just like that was perfect. And and meanwhile, you know I'm still you know playing football. I'm playing basketball. I'm playing baseball. Um, I'm 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 active in in sports. Um, active in summer summer camp, summer league, and I'm I'm doing all those things again, like this this American family um, does, right? You know, you, you send your kid to you know play sports. Now to not to necessarily compare you because I don't want it to come off that way, but. Um... I don't know how many years older you are than Michael. I don't remember. Okay. Were you, uh, I know you're playing all these sports. Were you as, as I'm trying to choose my words carefully, cause I don't want it to come off the wrong way, but were you as, as gifted and as sought out athletically as he was at the sports you were playing? Like, I know he set records in track and you know, he's getting sought out by all these universities and whatnot where you, were you even anywhere near that or? No, no, not even, no, nowhere near it. Um, he was heavily recruited um, by top colleges um, in the nation. And I, I was not, I, I, I didn't, um, I just did not, you know, work as, if I worked as hard at, at rolling a joint, right, that I did <laughs> at, at, at playing linebacker, right, or playing defensive end, maybe, maybe that would have been the case, but. Um, I'm with you I on found, that. Once I found marijuana, I was like, this, I'm good, right, and, um, you know, I. Graduated- Shit, I used to say if day drinking was an Olympic sport, I'd be a gold medalist. I, I miss, I'd be, I'd be Shit. rich, man. I'd be rich. <laughs> I'd be rich. I'd be rich. So, all right. So, sorry, I, I interrupted you there. So, so you're, you're playing sports and you know, you're just, you're smoking weed regularly and, and where does that continue going for you? So I, you know, I'm, it's, it's a senior year and starting to think about, you know, where I'm going to go to school. Well, first of all, making sure that I'm going to graduate. Right. That's the first thing. Um, and where am I going to go to school? And, um, you know, my parents, they, uh, they, they pulled out a map and they drew a big circle uh, around, uh, around the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Virginia, New York area. And they said, you can go to, any, you can go to school anywhere outside the circle, right? And because you're not coming home every day with your laundry, you're not eating us out of house and home, right? You're not coming, <laughs> you, you need to be eight hours away. You need to be a, fl- you need to be a plane uh, flight away from us usually moms are trying to keep their boys home uh, they wanted your ass gone they wanted me out. <laughs> so um you know i was like okay fine so you know i put one school i think i put kansas state on the on the on the on the board and because i like the football team and my mom's like you know what's out in kansas and i'm like cornfields out there right and and um i'm like okay that doesn't sound attractive right and louisiana lsu i put that on there and they're like, you realize how hot it is in Louisiana during summer okay, when you want to play football? I'm like, yeah, that's right. Let me take that off the mat, right? So uh, I just I picked um, school out in, in Virginia, and um, I went there, 
uh, you know, I, I graduated uh, with a 700 SAT, a 2.0 GPA, right? So which school uh, specifically did you choose? North, North I, cho- I chose Norfolk State University. Okay. And um, a historically black college in, uh, in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And, you know, I got there and, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I got to this, this all black college coming from an all white high school. It was like culture shock to me. Um, it was just like, I felt so out of place there, so awkward there. Um, but, you know, one of the, one of the, um, people that I met, you know, he was a, uh, dude from, um, San Mateo, California. And he, you know, he came all the way to Norfolk state and he, you know, he mentioned, yeah, yeah, he sold drugs, right. He sold drugs in, in California, just trying to escape that life. And um, talked about how much you know crack coke, crack cocaine he was he was slinging, and um, you know next thing I know he's like hey you want to try something, and um, you know we we you know I tried you know crack cocaine mixed with marijuana and I was like once I tried that I was like mind blown, and um, I thought you know this is what I've been this is what I've been missing, like this is. This is a, a nice, a nice upgrade to just smoking marijuana and drinking alcohol. So, um, you know, I, I, I got exposed to that and that, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, when I first had that first alcohol, that first cigarette, was I chasing, you know, did I, did I make an effort to try to go get the next one, right? Well, I can tell you what, when I hit that crack cocaine that, in that joint, I was chasing the next one. Uh, and, and I never stopped. Um, it, it took me a long time to, to stop. So I definitely chased that. I, I liked the way that it made me feel. I was already feeling awkward in this, in this new environment that I was no, like not like seemingly fit to, to be in. Um, and it, it provided me a uh, comfort um, home away from home, right? So I mean, I just, that really started uh, degradation. So you went straight from weed to to crack. Right, it mixed in a joint. Now, I I will say that is kind of, that's that's close to a first um, because I think, uh, you know, the guests that we've had that have, that have gotten as far as crack cocaine and whatnot, they've, they've, they've kind of, I don't want to say they built up to it, but there had been other stuff in between, you know, like, uh, a lot of, you know, trying other drugs at college parties or, you know, even like an extensive bout, bout with like sniffing Coke until it became too expensive or something like that. But you just went you went straight into it. And and that's that's probably that that might be one of the first times we're hearing that, though. Yeah, I uh, again, you know, I, LSD, I tried it you know, uh, sniffed cocaine. I tried it, but I think I sniffed cocaine once or twice. It was like, whatever. Um, never, it didn't beat a joint, uh, LSD, you know, never beat a joint. Um, but when I used crack cocaine for the first time inside of, inside of a joint, I was like, this is, this is like perfect. Like, this is awesome. And, um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm using this, I'm going to school, I'm getting C's, you know, I'm still socially awkward, I'm trying to keep to myself, but um, hanging close to this dude from California, who turned me on to this, this new drug, and, 
and I'm quickly going through the allowance that I'm that I'm given for for, for college, right? For that that monthly stipend that my parents are giving me, I'm running through that rather quickly, and um, it's it's all going to uh, you know coke, crack cocaine and marijuana. Um, but you know, I, I wanted to play you know I wanted to play basketball, right? I wanted to play college basketball, and um, I learned quickly that you know a six foot two power forward or center is not a commodity in, in college basketball. I, uh, I realized I was playing out of position pretty much my whole life and had to make a change. Um, so, you know, I left uh, Norfolk State after my first year, uh, almost failed out, but, you know, I think I, you know, scraped by with C's and, um, I said, I, I want to transfer. So I figured I transferred to my mother's alma mater, North Carolina Central University in Durham, North Carolina, right? Going back home, right? Where I was born. And um, I figured, let, let me start over, right? Let me start over. I'm going to another uh, black college. And I kind of know what to expect now, right? So I know how to dress, right? I know how to like present myself. And, um, you know, kind of running away from, my past uh, of, of crack cocaine. So I get there and I show up with a bong um, and within, within the first, I think 48 hours of landing there, uh, find somebody who can, you know, who can get me an ounce of weed. And um, part of a war story here is that I, uh, you know, it takes me around, you know, buy, you know, I buy this, this ounce of weed and you know, he, he starts making phone calls for me. Right. And I'm, and he's like, Hey, we're going to go over here. And I'm like, for what? He's like, well, you know, I can help you sell that. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is only an ounce. Like I, I, I'm not selling this. He goes, what did you buy it for? I go, I bought this to smoke. He goes, you're going to smoke a whole ounce. I said, what else do you do with it? Right. So, um, you know, they quickly found out that I was a little bit different, right? And I, you know, my, uh, again, you're talking about uh, a kid, you know, they, 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 kid from the North, right? Down in the South, right? Everyone had the drawl, everyone had that Southern drawl and I didn't, right? And I had, you know, I talked proper, right? Air quotes, I talked proper to them. And they were like, where are you from? Like, you sound white, right? You sound, you sound <laughs> like, you sound different, right? And, um, and they, they quickly realized that, you know, when I wasn't willing to, was I, when I wasn't willing to sell this ounce and smoke every bit of it in a bong, nonetheless, right. They realized that, okay, this is, this cat is a little bit different and, um, kind of made, you know, a name for myself, uh, with that in, uh, the kid with the bong on the fourth floor. And, um, you know, that progressed, um, quite nicely for the, for the next few years. And, uh, you know, walking through campus one day, um, somebody stopped me and said, Hey, are you, are you going to sign up for football? And I'm like, no. And he said to me, he said, uh, wow, what a waste of talent. And, um, I was offended. Right. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? Waste of talent. He goes, look how big you are. Look out, look at you. You should be out there on the field. And I was just like, Oh, whatever, man walked away. But he planted a seed that, um, that grew. And um, I, you know, a couple of the, a couple of days later, I went to sign up, play, play football. Next thing I know, I'm playing college football. 
which was one of the dreams that I did have as, as a kid growing up. And um, I learned I learned quite rather quickly that, uh, it, that it's played at a different speed than it was in high school. And um, these boys down south don't play, right? And and um, I acclimated quickly. Um, you know, did okay in school because I didn't realize I had you know if I want to play, you got to do decent in school, right? So I have decent grades. So I, I my grades kind of picked up a little bit, but not too much, right? Because um, still. You know, I just wanted to do barely enough just to get by, and um, you know, still had the bong in in my in my uh, in my in my in my backpack, right? In in, in the weed and the lighter and a little bit of water, right? That's I carried with me all the time. Bong hits before school um, starts at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm doing bong hits, right? So, um, you know, I um, I get a scholarship. <laughs> I get a scholarship. Um, Walk on scholarship. They give me, they give me a part. They give me a, a partial scholarship to play football. And um, one day I'm in the dorms smoking weed, and and um, I get busted, and I get kicked out of school, and um, they take my bottle. Um, but never really like that was not a moment for me to be like, you know, let me get my life together, you know, blah 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 blah. Let me just, I need to do it better. Right. Don't just don't do it in the dorms. Right. Um, be more secretive. Right. And, um, you know, I eventually get back in school and pick up right where I left off. And, and I find crack cocaine again. Um, one of the players was selling and um, I'm, I'm back off to the races. And now um, when you when you hadn't smoked crack in this entire time, um, was it was it like hey, this shit is really, really bad. And if I keep going, I'm going to end up with a problem. Or was it just like, eh, I just rather just smoke weed. Like, was there in your mind, was there a plan for why you weren't smoking crack? Or was it just like, hey, I moved. This is a fresh start and weed is good enough. Like, did you yeah. comprehend how bad that, that that drug actually is and where it could actually take you? Not one bit. I just couldn't find it. Right. I just couldn't. That was, that was the only reason. So- so had someone popped up on day one when you got to North Carolina and was like, hey, I got weed and crack for you. You would have been you would have been on it from day one if it was All an in. option. All in. Okay. All in. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, found crack cocaine again and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm back to the races. But it was only something that, you know, I did that I could have that when I could afford to do so. Right. Um, but, you know, I I. Uh, I we're, we're approaching the last last year of school and um, the last semester. And my foot, my 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 college coach says to me, he says, uh, you know, hey, I, I I want you, hey Robert, I want you to sit out your your senior your, your last semester. And I'm like, well, why? He goes, I want to take you to the next level. I'm like, well, the next level is the pros, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not pro material. What are you talking about? I want to take you to the next level. Sit out the next semester. Come back in the fall play for me and I'll take you to the next level. I said, man, you're out of your mind. You may graduate, get this paper and get up out of here. Right. And, um, you know, fast forward three years later, I see that coach on the sidelines of, um, the New York jets running back coach. And, uh, he's, if you ever, if you ever remember the video of two black coaches and the jets, Herman Edwards is one of them. 
yelling at each other, having an argument on the sidelines. Bishop Harris was the other. And Bishop Harris was my uh, college head coach that wanted to take me to the next level. But I told him, get out of your mind. Because, uh, listen, I got this crack this week. I'm going to graduate next, next semester. I'm out of here. And didn't take, the, didn't, take him from the, didn't take him seriously. Didn't take him up on the opportunity. And um, he went to the next level. I did. Um, the, only, the only level that I went to is uh, once I got out of school, you know, I got a girl pregnant and um, had that to deal with. And now I'm like, you know, beat myself up, right? And there's no better way to beat myself up than, than to use drugs. And what you're like, what, probably like 22, 23? Yep, yep. yep. Uh, 21, 22 years old. And, um, you know, here's where it really starts. And uh, it's crazy. I just want to like take the time to reflect too, of our listeners. This is crazy. Like you're, you're talking about like, you're already, you're already essentially smoking crack, you know, even if it's laced with weed or, you know, and it's, it's, and I'm going to use air quotes here too, even if it's just with weed and, it's quote unquote recreationally. And, you know, you just pretty much shit on this opportunity for a a coach that then makes it to the pros who told you he wanted to take you to the next level. It's like all of that has already happened before you're 21, but yet this is where it starts. (laughs) Like that is, that is crazy to even think of. Cause like by 21 or 22. And again, I feel like we have to use air quotes so much when we're talking on this recovery subject, but like by that age, you have already went through more, more shit than your average normal person does. You know, the person who doesn't deal with recovery and addiction and, you know, someone who just makes it through all the easy points of life and doesn't have to go through that. Like they don't, they don't do or experience a lot of that shit by time they're, they're as old as you are now, let alone like you've already done that by 21. And now this is where the, this is where it starts. Like, yeah, you've you've already given us a whole lifetime worth of stuff between girls crawling in your bed and drinking at eight and then, you know, off to college and you're smoking weed and you're drinking. And like this is this is just crazy, man. This this is just unbelievable. Your your, your brother wasn't wrong, man. You you Loftons, man. Y'all got some <laughs> fucking stories. <laughs> Um, I, I, again, I, I'm, and I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of other stuff, man. But, um, when I, when I left school, um, and, and I, I didn't grad officially graduate, I had to go to uh, summer school to finish up. But, um, you know, when I went home after, uh, after school, after college, um, I, you know, went to get a haircut in, uh, in the place that I've always gone with my with one of my friends his father used to take him there and i just you know i knew how to get there i was like let me get a haircut i get i go there get a haircut and lo and behold guess what i find crack cocaine right and and now but now i don't have any marijuana and it's just like well i have to i have to how am i going to smoke this you know straight right and that's the one of the first times that i ever smoked it straight and when i did that the intensity that I felt at that time, the, the, the comfort level that I felt at the time, I was like, oh, this is, where was this? I, I've been doing it wrong the whole time, right? And since that moment, that sent me on a, just a, 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 just a 
rat race um, chase for the next one. And um, I knew where to get it. Now, I see, before I didn't really know where to get it, right? Because I just had to like trip over it, right? Somebody had to have it or whatever it was, right? I just had to like run into it by mistake. But now I know how, I know where to get it, right? And um, it was it was on from there, man. It was on from there. And, um, you know, I think uh, it, it just was just, that's when my life really started to deteriorate. And um, the things that I, you know, valued, the, the beliefs that were instilled in me were just gone. It was, it was all about the next one. And uh, the, the feeling, feeling, you know, replacing that void uh, with, with a drug, a drink or a drug. And, um, it, you know, crack cocaine was it for me, man. Um, does that immediately turn into an all day, every day habit from that moment? It, 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 it turned into a, it, it turned into an often as I could afford to do it. Um, I was a, you know, somewhat of a lazy addict, right. I didn't, I didn't like steal right for it. Um, well, let me rephrase that. I didn't like rob anybody for it, right? Other than my mom and dad and the, and the, uh, the coin jar. I'm not sure Michael talked about the coin jar, um, <laughs> but I definitely uh, robbed the coin jar um, to the best of my ability, right? And without trying to um, make it too known that I was, that I was doing it, but um, I would, uh, as much as I could afford to do it, I would, uh, I would, I would use crack cocaine and, um, it, it got bad, man. I started to um, call out of work. I started to miss, you know, miss work and, and, and just miss events and just not be visible, not be present in, in my, in my, in my family's life, um, in my, uh, in my own life. And uh, crack, crack cocaine started to make the, 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 the choices for me in my life. Wow. Now, did you have a, at this, at the, the job you had, were you making decent enough money that can really support the habit that you had so uh you know i was working i think i was working at ups a little bit and um i was making you know part-time money right but um i ended up getting a job right at a red lobster as a manager at a red lobster at the same place where the haircut around the same area that where the haircut place was where i found the crack cocaine so now I'm making, you know, a little bit better money. I think it was like $28,000 a year, right? But it was a whole, at that time, it was a lot of money, right? But um, it, was, it was 10 minutes away from the spot. It was 10 minutes away from the spot. So, you know, um, I would just like, my whole life is, is, is all of these stories of where like, I leave one place, but I end up, I leave one place to escape, but go end up right back in that area that I try to escape from and do the same thing, right? Um, you know, so, you know, where I used to get my hair cut, South Plainfield, New Jersey, um, I ended up getting a, a job at the Red Lobster in South Plainfield, New Jersey, right? And um, that was just like, I, I, I mean, I, you, you try to be careful to say what your bottom is, right? I thought I, maybe my bottom was, you know, the haircut in, in where that took me, where that, where that environment took me. But once I got a little bit more money in my pocket, you know, I'm showing up to work in the same clothes the next day that I that I left it previously, right? Um, I'm taking money from the drawer, right? I'm robbed because I did, so I did say I didn't rob anybody. Of course I did, right? I robbed you know the Red Lobster 
cash drawer, right? I, and I'm closing at the end of the night. I'm closing and I'm taking this money and I'm going out, you know, skimming from the top, going out once I leave there and going to get crack cocaine. Um, and again, it, it just, it, it made the, the hard choices for me in my life. And um, I was, I was definitely under the grips of it. And, uh, you know, I, I tried, uh, my parents tried to, you know, get help for me because um, it was, it became very apparent that uh that was my uh, next question how old were you when your parents figured out what was going on probably t- mid-20s maybe 20 24 um you know you look, you're losing weight you know you're losing the weight and uh you're you're i'm not taking care of myself um, and to also give myself and our listeners more reference this is if i'm if i'm doing my math here correctly this is probably like the mid 80s right you're talking, uh, you're talking like early nineties now. You're okay. Talking, you're talking early nineties now. So um, what is the, at this point, you know, what is the, the, the stigma and, and the stereotype behind, behind crack? Cause you know, you think like we think now, and even for, for most of my life that I can remember when you think of uh, the quote unquote crackhead or or someone like you think of, you know, under a bridge, homeless, no teeth, robbing and stealing from anybody that they can will do anything and everything they can for their next high. Um, what is the stigma surrounded? Not necessarily what you were doing, but what is the stigma surrounded by someone using crack back then? Was it like, were all of those stereotypes already starting to exist? Like if you just went and told someone, in 1992, hey, I'm, I'm, this person's a crackhead. Like, is that immediately what they're expecting or do they not know about it as well at this point? No, it, it is, that's, that stigmatism is, 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 uh, is right, on, right on the nose. Um, homeless, uh, penniless, toothless, jo- you know, jobless, um, doing anything they can to get the next one, selling babies, um, leaving their, abandoning, you know, children. Uh, just complete degradation is what the stigmatism uh, around uh, crack cocaine at the time was. So because you don't fit a lot of those, those check boxes at that point, no one outside of your immediate family. And, and of course your, your dealer probably even knows or even suspects that that's what you're doing. Right. And And listen, I'm driving, I'm driving a, uh, a classic uh, silver and blue 280 ZX, right. With T tops. Um, Um, that is just like, you know, beautiful, right? And and um, later on, I'm driving a, a red three, a 1986 uh, red 300Z with T-tops, right? So I just don't fit that mold, right? But at the same time, like I am no different than um, those crackheads that you see and maybe read about um, on television in the news. I'm, I'm no different than they are. Uh, I just have parents that um, are putting up with it, right? So how did your parents find out? They, they um, are careless, right? Leaving in the car, um, leaving little baggies in the car. Um, you know, just the way that my eyes would, uh, would be glazed over. And I'll tell you what. Um, and your mom was a cop. She probably knew exactly what she was looking at. Right. She is, she is, uh, she is no fool to 
uh, the you know the, the the effects of crack cocaine. And um, I'll tell you what happened was um, um, Lynn Bias when he passed when he died of a heart attack. Rest in peace. Yeah, man. Um, my mom came in that came in the house, almost you know in tears, shaking about Lynn Bias passing uh, because of crack cocaine. And um, you know, but that that was that's not a deterrent, right? It, it was right around that time, and and um, and you know. It, it, it wasn't a deterrent. None of that was a deterrent for me. Um, I'm different, right? Because I don't look like I'm not homeless. Because I don't look like those people that um, you see on 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 the news that are using as a crack cocaine. I'm different, and um, I, I use that to justify the most outrageous nonsense of, of my active addiction. And I'm glad you said that name too, because you know Len Bias again, perfect example of what we talked about in the beginning that this addiction doesn't know it doesn't, it doesn't care. This, these, these addictions do not care. It is not, again, it's, it's not a certain economic standard. It's not a, a certain uh, type of person that it goes after. It will go after anybody and everybody that it possibly can get its hands on. I mean, shit for our listeners that don't know Len bias coming out as a recruit was supposed to be like the next the next big thing he was like suppose like people were already calling him the greatest basketball player of all time and i i don't want to misspeak here but th- he never even got a chance to play a single nba game did he no. he he over he overdosed between the draft and his first game and he never even got to play a single game i think he overdosed uh, quite soon soon after um he was drafted uh, they threw a big party and um you know Crackle came as was present and uh, died of a heart attack. Um, but you know, like that, that opened up you know the eyes of a lot of people um, to say that this isn't you don't have to be uh, homeless in the street, right? Um, this this could happen to anybody, and um, but not me. That's not going to happen to me. I'm different, right? So, um, and I continued on my path and you know, tried to stop. And, and, um, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to make a change. and I'm going to go into the Navy. I'm going to go into the Navy and um, I'm going to get my life together. Right. And uh, I get stationed, uh, guess where? Norfolk, Virginia, <laughs> right? right where I found, right where I went to, where I went to college for that person where I first found um, crack cocaine. Right. So um, back in Norfolk, Virginia, I'm in the Navy and, you know, very quickly, um, I find uh, crack cocaine, and I'm picked up right where I left off. And I, I you know, I'm, uh, I'm I'm using just as hard as, as I ever as I ever was. Uh, the only the only thing that would stop me is when we would be deployed for a couple months at a time. But when I got back, you know, I'd have a probably like you know a few a few months worth of money that I was not able to spend. Right. Um, so then once I get back, I'm th- all that's gone. Right. A few grand gone within days. And, um, you know, one time, um, again, part of a war story here, I was, uh, you know, we're sitting at sitting in this one dude's house. Uh, and, you know, somebody, this one dude kicks in the door and he's got a Mac 11. Uzi 
in his hand and now he's like pointing it at at all of those three people and we're just sitting there we're we're sitting in this room just all like you know bum because we don't have the next one right how are you thinking plotting how are we gonna get the next one right and um dude kicks in the door and knows he's got a gun and he's waving around he's like yo give me my yo he's and he's talking to the other dudes like yo give my fucking money yo i'm tired of, and, and the and the one dude who's got the gun pointed at he's just so cool and calm about it. he's like yo i ain't got that yo and i'm like <laughs> i'm like yo what do you mean i'm like and he's just like super pissed that the other dude is getting the gun pointed at him is super cool and i'm like oh my god and then i'm just like look man i gave you the money that i have and he points the gun at me he's like yo i ain't talking to you you shut the fuck up i'm just like my bad and um gets up to the gets up close to the dude got the gun in his face he's like yo, he's like yo i want my fucking money all this other shit i'm just like holy shit and um he eventually leaves obviously we all make it out but um you know that that there's a moment there that I'm you know, that that would have I would like to have believed would have been like okay Robert number one we need to stop using drugs right number two we you know number one we never need to go over there ever again we need to never use drugs again we need to get our life together blah 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 and um, me I'm just like well let me give it a couple of days make sure the heat dies down and I'm back over there again and um, back in that environment so yeah. It, it, for me, it, 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 because I think it, I don't think it can happen to me. Right. Talk about uh, a scared straight moment. No, not for me. It was like, you know, um, maybe I need to have more money on me. Right. Maybe I, you know, just make sure, make sure that I'm able to pay. Right. And I won't have, I won't be in those situations. Right. Make sure I have money. That's the lesson that I learned from that. Right. Um, and, you know, it, just, it was just more of that. Right. There's so much of that going on. And, um, you know, I, I make it out of the, out of the Navy and I, I go back home and um, I think you're talking maybe like 93, I get out of the Navy. Um, no, I'm sorry, 98, 98. I got out of the Navy in 98 and, um, you know, I'm just more, more using, um, trying, you know, more ways and means to get more. And uh, I go to, I go to a, um, a business school and um, I, I graduate from there, get a job working for a company that I, that I work for today. And, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not using, right. And um, I'm doing okay with myself, right. I'm married. Right. Um, and I, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. And um, something told me, that I can use marijuana successfully. Right, I'm not going to smoke crack cocaine. I know where to get it, but I'm not going to smoke crack cocaine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to use successfully. And um, for a while, it worked. And um, I think I was, you know, working in a cube uh, in support uh, for like five years. And I get this promotion. And um, now I'm making significantly more money and, 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 and marijuana is not good enough anymore. And um, find crack cocaine again. And um, it's like, uh, it's like, <laughs> it's like we're on the beach. Like those, you ever see those, 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 uh, those, those, those movies 
where you know they see each other these long lost loved ones see each other across a room or across the beach and they're running together in slow motion as they get to one another and they embrace like that was me and cracker right we you know these long i've probably been uh, away from it for a few years and um you know i i spot it and we are where we are in the throes of passion again and um picked up right where I left off. And this time, unfortunately, I have the money to support my habit and uh, just continue on a, just a, a downward spiral. And you know, I have a you know, pretty decent, by this time, I, I think I divorced my, my wife. Um, I'm single. I'm living in this house, this two-story twin house by myself. There's no furniture in the house whatsoever. Only thing is in there is a bed a television, right, um, in, 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 in the house. And um, I'm just using every day. Now I have the ways and means to pay for it. I can use by myself because I'm super stingy and uh, I don't want to use with anybody else. And I just like rat race every day. Every day I'm using, I'm using, I'm using every day. And sometimes I'm going out for lunch using um coming home for dinner using late night snack is using right and it's just this this perpetual this perpetual spiral and um you know i've always had this ability um and i'm careful to say that right it's not that like it's a superpower or anything but i can find drugs almost anywhere right um i'm not afraid to walk up to anybody and ask them for it right and i think i was i was a consultant over the summer around um, in 2000. And my first consulting gig was in Chicago. And I, you know, I get off, I get off, uh, I did plane, get through, you know, through transit and I'm, you know, you want to find a cab to get to the hotel. But before I do that, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta reload. And uh, I see this guy, looks like he can probably help me out. And I said, yo, where can I get some crack cocaine from? Where can I get some marijuana from? He goes, Cabrini Green on Southland Division. And I said, wait a minute. The good times place he goes yeah southern Division. so i'm like wait so you're telling me like that was a real place he goes yeah it's a real place man cabrini green and um i go there and uh it was like i go down into this the stairs and there's this long hallway and there's like these dudes like they were like straight up gangsters and um they just did not look like they were, they didn't look like any of the other dealers that I've ever dealt with. These dudes meant straight business. They were not playing around. There was no smiling. They were not put, shooting dice in the corner while, while every business was taking place. Now they were all about their business. And, um, but that's the depths that I would go to, right? To, to get the next one. And I did the same thing in, in, in uh, later on in that, in that whole uh, consulting gig. Uh, I went to LA and um, got off the plane. Same question. They asked, hey, man, where can I get some? They go, Skid Row. I mean, that's a real place? They go, no, seriously, yeah, Skid Row, that's a real place. And uh, turns around, it's right around the corner from a police station. I did not know that. But um, you know, I walk down there. Now, again, I'm, on, I'm in khakis. I'm in a polo, right? Um, you know, just completely like looking like a business casual dude going into Skid Row, buying crack cocaine and marijuana. And um, 
that's and I did it. I did that all summer long, regardless of where I went. Um, L.A., Chicago, Alabama, um, Colorado, uh, Arizona. Did the, everywhere I went, I was able to get it. And um, again, so going back home, fast forward around 2000, um, 2000, uh, you know, nine, uh, I'm, 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 I'm all in on it. And I'm just spiraling out of control. Uh, I have a job that I'm, I'm able to keep it from and, and use. And just like the wall started closing in on me, like something's going to give here, man. And we need to just, you need to stop and do something. And uh, my parents are starting to notice the weight, the weight loss. Cause I think at the time, I think I was probably weighing, probably weighing 240 maybe 240 pounds, I got down to 200 after just using and using and using. And um, I had to find an excuse. Like, why are you losing all this weight? Oh, mom, because I'm running. <laughs> oh, you're running. Uh, you're uh, whatever. No, no, seriously. And, um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I was, man. I, I, got a, I got a dog. I walked the dog every day. And, and uh, I was walking every day. And one time the dog got loose. And... I took off. I started running after this dog. I mean, God, I was probably what, 40, I don't know, at the time, in my mid, early 40s, uh, mid 40s. And I started taking off on this dog and I, and I run after this dog, probably like, a, like, I don't know, 50 yards, 100 yards. And I, and, I, and I wasn't like completely winded. And I was like, something was like a crate. I was like, huh, like, I can run, right? So from that moment, now I'm running with the dog. I'm running one mile, two miles, three miles with this dog and it's building up this thing. And I'm kind of liking this, right? I'm kind of, it was my escape from using, like right? so when I wasn't using, I would go for a run and I would enjoy it. And, um, you know, that turned in, in like 2014, right? Uh, again, I'm still using crack cocaine. Don't get me wrong. I'm still using smoking marijuana, right? Don't get me wrong. But um, I signed up for a Savage race, which is, which is an obstacle course race. Um, I signed up for this race and, and uh, with some friends and, and I'm using like the night before I'm using crack cocaine the night before. Right. I did the same thing in, in, you know, I signed up for a savage race, a tough mutter. Right. And it gave credibility um, to the facade um, of, of the weight that I was losing, but I was also enjoying that feeling of, of running and, and doing these, these obstacle course races. And, um, but you know, underneath, man, I was I was still using drugs, uh, crack cocaine, and it was, crack cocaine was was, was was ruling my life. And um, um, I think, I, and on uh, on March March twentieth, uh, it was a, it was a Saturday, two thousand sixteen. Saturday, you know, late at night, and. Uh, you know, I'm on the phone with my the girlfriend at the time, and I was like, you know, I I I, I can't do this anymore. I want to stop, but I can't. And uh, I'm on the phone crying. And I still got like rocks, crack cocaine uh, in the bed with me, some marijuana still left, alcohol in the fridge. And I was just like, I want to stop, but I can't. And um, I said, I'm going to get help. And uh, of course, I finished smoking the crack cocaine. I'm not wasting We're not letting that go to waste. No, I'm not wasting that, right? But the marijuana and the booze 
I think I poured the booze out, gave the pot away. And uh, that Monday, I went to an outpatient uh, facility. And I said, I need help. I need help. I can't stop using. Um, I can't. And um, they said, come on. Took me in. And um, I felt this, this relief, right? Because I never wanted anybody to know. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be judged, right? I didn't want, you know, people to think that, you know, I was this typical crackhead, right? Even though I was, I may not have looked it, right? But I was able to keep a better facade up longer than some other people were. That's the only difference. Uh, but I was, it was so, such a relief to, to say um, that I have a problem and I, that I need help and, and get that help. So life-changing, game-changing event for me. And this was 2016, right? 2016, yeah. So this is, you know, today to to this date, knock on wood, you're you're the last time you've ever used. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. And yeah. I also want to point out, like, I, I'm I'm sure you're aware because you're the one telling the story, and I know that you're the one that like can feel the emotions and can probably feel it in your throat and whatnot. But like, man, when you got to you got to a point where you're telling your story and we're all, we're all laughs and we're jokes and we're this and we're that. And it's, it's, it's fun and whatnot. But then there was just this point when you started talking about like when you went back into it and, and being in, in full fledged mode, like you just kind of were like in this mode where you were just kind of like staring off while you're telling the story and like your face kind of changed. And like, I could just see like the emotion, like, change over your face like as you were like reflecting back on the person that you used to be and it's like it's like there's always those moments when I do these interviews and and I I want to say like in your face it was it was one of the more one of the more obvious like moments of anybody that I've interviewed just like watching you reflect back on yourself and and where you came from and it's just like it gives me chills and it makes me emotional just watching that. Cause I can see like the pain in you when you're reflecting back on the person you used to be. And you know, the things you put your family through and mm. the things you went through and the danger you put yourself in and whatnot um, to, to now where we are now, because this is my favorite part about the podcast is every single person that I interview has a recovery story. It's not just, Hey, you know, this is how long you did, you did drugs and you drank. And when do you plan on stopping? Like, that's not what we're doing here. It's all right. This is, you know, and, and we all got to take this the one day at a time mentality. So, you know, we, we like to hope that this is when we tell these stories this is the last time we ever use, or we're ever going to use, but we don't know that for sure. Cause we know that we have to keep doing whatever we're doing. Um, I always preface this as well. Like, you know, this podcast myself, not affiliated um, with any 12 step program, any denomination, you know, what, what we hear here as we get into the recovery part of the story, these are things that worked for Robert, you know, AA works for me, a 12 step program works for me, doesn't work for everybody. There are many different paths to recovery. There are many different ways for someone to recover. There's not just one way. Um, so again, this, we, we don't speak on behalf of this is what you have to do. And this is what it's all about. This is just what works for me what works for Robert and that's telling the story. 
with that being said, you know, that the program that I work is, is a one day at a time program, not taking advantage, not taking it for granted. And I can never just tell myself, Hey, I'm never going to drink again. I can, I can say that I would like to never drink again, but I'm a fool. If I just sit here and go to sleep tonight saying, I'm never going to pick up another drink because then I'm just letting my guard down. And before you know, that shit's going to sucker punch the hell out of me. And I refuse to, to, to let it take me down that easy. Again, I can't, I can't promise and say hundred percent that I'm never going to do it again, but I can do my best to not let it take me down that easy because of letting my guard down. So I'm going to continue trying to stay vigilant. Uh, with that being said, what, what works for you? Are you a member of a 12 step program? Do you, do you attend meetings? Do you go to church or what, what path does, does Robert take to stay clean and sober now over more than five years later? I am a member of a 12-step program. Um, I also um, am a believer that um, outside um, counseling uh, is beneficial for me. Um, I do not have, you know, per se, a, a uh, say, a uh, diagnosed mental illness other than um, the disease of addiction. Um, but I do, you know, you know, talk to a therapist um, because, you know, the program can help me with a lot of things. But there are certain things that that a uh, that a therapist can also help me with as well. So um, in addition to a 12 step program, I, I do talk to a therapist um, occasionally just to, you know, get a different perspective and, and get some clinical uh, guidance and help in my, in my daily life. Um, I love, I love the therapist look as well. Like I, I know when, when I was in my first year, I was seeing a therapist as well. And um, I don't know if this is the case with your therapist, but the, the guy that I was seeing was also in recovery. So it was, it was huge for me because I, I felt like I could be super open as well and be even more honest because this is someone who had, you know, however many years clean and sober. And so like I could explain my, and I, I felt like he definitely understood where I was coming from and what I was talking about because he, he's been through the struggles of addiction. This isn't someone who, and I'm not knocking anybody who does this if they haven't went through recovery. Cause I'm not saying you have to be in recovery to understand recovery, but he had, you know, it's, this isn't someone who just graduated college, read a bunch of books and was like, Oh, I know how to deal with people dealing with addiction. This is someone who went through the shit himself. And so that, that for me was huge. And like you said, it's, it's a lot different as well um, to be able to talk to someone privately and, and a lot more open for an hour, hour and a half, however long your session is. And so I agree with you hundred percent. That was huge, especially in my first year. Like I, I very, very, very much relied on, on seeing that, that therapist. Definitely a, a, a tool that I have in, in my toolbox. Um, and, you know, of course, um, you know, part of the reason that we're here is one of the other things that I use to, uh, to recover um, is, is a, um, you know, I, I, I started running, right? And um, even though I started running while I was using uh, to cover, to mask some of the weight loss, right? Um, I, I enjoyed it. And I... Um, you know, I think, I think I signed up for a half marathon 
um, within the first, uh, yeah, that was in April. So within the first um, 30 days, I, I signed up for a half, uh, I signed up for a half marathon. And I remember um, running it and having to run back because it was in the local area. I remember running, finishing the half marathon running back to my house to change, to shower and change, and then running to my home group uh, because it was my 30 day uh, anniversary. And I wanted that, I wanted that key tag, man. I love it. And love um, it. so it was, it was so, so important to me to get that key tag because like those were visions of hope, right? When, you know, they would say whoever has 30 days and 60 days and 90 days. And just to hear like people have 90 days clean and, 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 um, and, and six months and, and, and a year and a year and a half and multiple years, right? Just to see that there are people um, and that there are people that are accumulating that, that clean time. Um, I wanted that key tag so bad. I wanted to say, you know, my name is my name is Robert. I'm an addict, and I have 30 days clean. Right? I wanted that so bad, and the people to you know see that I I I stuck around and I stayed for 30 days. I wanted the 60, and I wanted the 90. Right? And I wanted to just keep going and get those key tags and have them all hanging off one another. You know, super long, right? So um, in that whole time while I was doing when I was um, you know going to narcotics, uh, narcotics and I'm an A, I, um, you know, I think I also, I signed up for a Spartan, Spartan race, a trifecta, um, you know, having a sprint, I think it's a sprint, a super and a, and a beast, uh, all in the same, in the same season. And, um, I think I went to Killington, Vermont for my beast. And I was like on a ski resort and that's a legit beast. And, um, clean right because i thought there's like how am i gonna have a good time without marijuana how am i gonna have a good time without uh, a beer right like how that's how that's how they celebrate the end of some of these races with the beer you get a little tag you get a little chip right at the end you know for part of your bib is there's a ribbon and give it for a free beer and um that's why i always like once i put it down like how am i gonna have a good time without a, a drink or a drug and you know oddly enough I was able to do that and and um you know so I I, I signed up for, within that first year of getting clean I ran a half marathon I ran a, a trifecta spartan um I also ran a um a full marathon and um you know it was uh it was on September 11th um I, f I forget the year, but uh, it's on the anniversary. And I remember starting it, right? And you, 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 started, you start in Allentown and you end in Easton, right? So that's, you, you have a couple of cities that are in, in the middle there, right? But that's oh, that's the... Um, via Network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Via Marathon. Yeah. That's a so, Boston qualifier. So um, I... You know, I'm, I'm before that race, we're at the Cedar, we're at Cedar Crest Hospital in that parking lot and the, and the, the intensity is building and I'm, and I'm in this and I'm one of these people, right? Remember like the year before I was smoking crack cocaine left and right. Um, 
living uh, on an animalistic level, um, trying to do whatever I could uh, to get the next one, right? And a year later, I'm, I'm running a marathon and, and I, am, um, I am literally in tears uh, as I as I as I as I sit in, in the uh, as I stand in the in the area right before we get ready to take off and, and on the run, not knowing what I'm getting myself into. I've never you know run that long. Um, I've trained for it, which you know was another thing. But um, scared, um, I was by myself, you know, with, with no with no no friends or family with me, um, but I wasn't alone. Right. Uh, you know, there were so many other people there. So many people were just so like supportive and, and um, you, you, it's a, it's a beautiful run. And um, that was the, that was the race where Norfolk Southern train came through the, came through the, 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 uh, the course. Yo. And, and, and like people were trying to jump over through the train and the journey, they were like trying to jump on the track. They were going like jumping on the train and then trying to like crawl up to the other side. It was, it was crazy. Uh, I was actually going to, I was going to let you finish telling your story about running the marathon. Cause it was clearly an emotional moment for you, but I was going to ask you if you knew about that incident, because I had heard about that. And like, as big as I am into the running community um, and like obsessed with it, like I've heard stories of people that were like, on pace for Boston qualifying. Yes. And that train is why they didn't get it. Yes. You know, like missing it by like a minute, 90 seconds. And that train, you know, happened to stop waiting for that train for however long they did, depending on what part they caught it. Like, I don't know how long that train took to get by from beginning to end. So I don't know the exact details to the second, but I know there was at least a handful of people that missed Boston qualifying by less than a minute and a half that were at that train stop. And all yep. oh my, I would be so fucking pissed <laughs> if I busted my ass and trained and you knew you had it in you and that train. Oh my God. Yes. I might've ran through the train. I might've been one of those people. Like who knows if we'd be here right now? Cause I might've died trying. Like I might've been one of those people climbing over the fucking thing. There were some That's people I heard people were just climbing on the train and trying to get through it. And, I myself, man, I was not even close to that. Um, but I, I, it had all cleared up by the time I got. Because it happened towards the front of the pack, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, what? those who were like those are know, the Boston qualifiers. Precisely. And um, you know, so all that all that smoke had settled by the time I got there, and and I finished it, and I was just like, you know, emotional uh over it and um but that that set in motion um a desire in me to continue uh, to, to do to these to, to do these types of events and um i think i picked up a book um dean carnassus uh, ultra 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 marathon man or ultraman yeah i think um, it's just called ultraman ultraman dean carnassus book by, book by him i read this book and i said to myself wait a minute so there's a race that's longer than a marathon, right? I'm like, I want that, right? I, I want, I want to do that, right? And um, so, you know, that, but that, that's like, again, remember, I put the drug down, right? And one of the things that I realized, re you know, really quick was that, um, and this, this really solidified it for me that I knew I was an addict. When I was doing the same thing, the same behaviors, clean, without a drug, right, that I did, um, with a drug, I knew I was an addict, and it came in the form of, uh, you know, 
I think one night um, I was clean. I was just, but I wanted something to eat, right? So I literally, again, uh, in my community that I live in, it's pretty dense, right? So people see you coming and going, right? So I'm sure my neighbors saw me leaving at 11, 12, coming back, you know, 11, 12 o'clock at night, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning, right? See me leaving and coming back, right? And seeing that little flash of light in my bedroom, right? You know, just every once in a while, seeing that flash of light. And um, I'm sure they do, right? But this time, you know, I'm sneaking to the uh, to the local store for for butterscotch crimpets. I'm sneaking, <laughs> right? I'm sneaking, right, to, out of this house, right, to to to, to be, and feeling like I'm copping, right? And um, that's when I knew. And and then uh, twenty six point one miles is not enough. I want to do, I want to do thirty. Thirty uh, is not enough. I want to do fifty, right? Um, and then the next year after the weather did the marathon, I signed up for a, uh, a 50 K, um, and somewhere in Delaware, um, did that. And, um, later on that year, I signed up for a 50 miler. Um, I did that to see mountain 50 miler. Now I want to, I want to stop you there and ask you, cause I know, and I can't say this from experience, but I can only imagine dr- jumping from a marathon to a 50 K although it's an extra five miles and I'm not selling it short by any means, as far as the body and the training, it's probably not the biggest deal in the world. Like I know those last few miles are rough and I know even making it from mile 20 to 26 is tough. Um, So from 26 to 30, I'm not downplaying it. Like it's not hard, but it's, 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 I feel like it's very doable. Like you probably don't train any different than a marathon. But what is that jump from like, what does it feel like to jump from like 50 K to 50 miles though? Like that extra 20 miles, that's like a whole nother race there. What is, what does that feel like on the body? So my experience with the marathon and the 50 K were flat, right? They were relatively flat. The Viet network um, mile uh, marathon is flat for the most part. Yeah. I mean, they target, they targeted to try and qualify for Boston. Right. So it's relatively flat, and so was my 50k. But the um, but my 50 miler was was in Tussie Mountain, um, in in Penn State, up in Penn State um, College, and that the training I knew I needed to do some hill training, but didn't really quite register. Uh, I just knew I needed to run a lot, right? And I didn't. It wasn't like I didn't hire a trainer, didn't like download an app. I just was like, I need to. I bought a book. And the book told me you need to run this much, this this often, this many days. You should be at these marks, and um, um, and I, I for the most to the best of my to the best of my ability, I, I followed that book, and uh, I got there to that that race, and you know I, I'm, I'm again I'm at the starting line, emotional. I'm at the storyline, you know, tear coming out of my eye just because I can't believe I'm there. I can't believe where I where I came from, dude. Coming in with a with a with an Uzi pointing a gun, right? Um, I you know I, I'm just all of the you know all of the different situations that I that I put myself in um, years before, but today I'm I'm ready. I am set and prepared to run a 50 mile race, and it was a uh, it was it was a lot. It was a lot of walking. I'm going to tell you that, man, it was a lot of walking, a lot of hills. Um, but, you know, after, but you, part of me was like, look, I am not 
it was a it was a it was a huge loop. It was just one huge loop, and it wasn't like there was a point where you can say, "Oh, you know what? I'm done. Let me just walk to my car." No, it was like your car was over here, and you ran all the way around. So if you stopped over here, you had to find a way. It wasn't like you could just walk, you know, yeah, across the mountain. Right? No, you had to like finish and go back around that way, or you had to go back all around the other. So it was um. I had that mindset and I was like, you got to finish this because there's no really no way off this mountain other than the walk of shame, right? The drive of shame to drive back, right? Because again, I didn't have a support vehicle. I would have had to bum a ride off of somebody. But, um, you know, at mile 25, mile 26, I was like, this is the farthest you've ever run. And you are still, uh, you still have some, some left in you. And you know, next thing I know, mile 35 is there, mile 40 is there, mile 45 is there. And, you know, I'm still there. I'm still in, inside the time uh, that is allotted for me. And, um, you know, next thing I know, I was like, oh, that place looks familiar. I know that place. Like, I, I, that looks familiar. It was the starting line. And, um, you know, I finished in 11 and a half hours. Um, Shit. But I finished. And, how fast did you run via? The, the first time I ran it in five and a half, the first time. Okay. Um, but then that started like that 50 miles. I said, okay, hey, you know what? Let's, let's rinse and repeat. Boom. Let's go back to the, to let's do the half marathon in the beginning, right? Let's do another trail marathon, right? Somewhere in the middle in July. Let's do another via network marathon in September. And let's do this 50 miler again. Right. And that was my, that was the next year. And let's do them all faster. Right. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I want to beat whatever time that I set for myself. So I did the half marathon. Uh, I think I did that in, 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 uh, I think I did that in probably, probably under two, under two hours, 10 minutes. Um, and I, they, I got to a trail marathon, but I was cocky and didn't really think I had to train for a trail marathon, but a, tra a trail marathon is much different than a regular marathon. Um, because when you're running on a trail, it's like go trail. That's a, that's a lot of um, foot positioning. And yeah, very technical. Yeah, very technical. And um, I learned a hard lesson that day um, and a very valuable one. Um, not to underestimate, just because it says 26.1 and just because you've done it before, doesn't mean you can do it again. Hopefully you didn't learn that lesson in the hard way of like rolling an ankle or something. No, but I, just, I, but just by being tired and just underestimating. By being, just by being tired, um, just by cramping. Um, but I did it, right. Got the, got the shirt, got the medal and got, and got out of there. Um, and, you know, the next, the, the next year I did the Via Network uh, Marathon again. This time I cut almost an hour off my time. I think I did it at 4, 4.40. Ooh. Um, and the funny thing about that was this was the day before that Saturday, I ran 19 miles that Saturday. I ran 19 miles. What that remember? Cause again, the goal is the 50 miles. Okay. All right. Fair. So in my training schedule in that book that I bought, it says you need to run 20, 20 on Saturday and you need to run 25 on Sunday. Yeah. So it just happened that I ran 19 that Saturday. I woke up the next day, ran a marathon. And I tell you, man, mix. I felt like, you know, the first time I finished a marathon, I felt like I was in a car accident. I was leaning over. Oh my God. This time I was ready to go out for dinner because my body was, my body was telling me was, was, was ready to go. But when I got to the 50 miler, 
um, uh, cocky, not really stretching the way that I should. And um, uh, my um, IT band on my left on my left leg started to rub against my the outside of my knee, my left knee. And at mile thirty five, I had to tap out. Um, I think I think at mile seventeen, I realized I was in a problem, but I tried to power through it, hoping that hoping that it would go away. So I, I pretty much suffered for another 17, 18 miles. And at mile thirty five, I had to check it. Check, I had to had to had to call it. I had to quit. Uh, shit. That was the first um, first time I quit, but um, but you know that didn't stop me. It's not the first time you quit. It's just the first time you quit a race. Right. Exactly. Um, uh, but again, I, I pretty much did the same thing the next year, but this time I threw in a, a, a triathlon and, you know, I just did that. And then, uh, I threw in a half distance Ironman, um, which triathlon did you start off with the sprint? I, I started off with the Olympic, started off with the Olympic. It goes, the distance is like sprint Olympic, then half Ironman, then Ironman. Those are yep. like the four distances, right? There's also an international in between, I think sprint and, and Olympic, um, um, or somewhere around in the air pit, right? And um, it was but remind our listeners the Olympic the Olympic distance triathlon. What you do for each skill? The Olympic distance triathlon was a fifteen hundred meter uh, swim. So almost a mile. It was a uh, twenty six mile bike ride and a six mile run. That was the Olympic distance, and uh, I did that relatively. Um, I was okay with that, but again, like I wanted more, right? I wanted that Ironman because one of the things as a kid that I saw on ABC wild world of sports, right. Was the Ironman and just the name Ironman was just like something I just, I wanted that. Uh, and so that was something that I was like, you know, before I'm 50, I want to do an Ironman. And, um, but I knew through training that you need to build yourself up to that. Right. So I started with the sprint. Then I did a, then the following year, I did the Atlantic city half Ironman. And that was cool. Again, flat for the most part, that was really super cool. I did that. And then the next year I signed up for the Maryland, uh, full distance Ironman. And, um, you know, that was, uh, so going back to the sprint, that 1500 meter swim, um, like I was, I was, I just, I just did pool work. Right. I just did pool work. Right. So, you know, flip turn that, you know, 25 meters, turn around, do it, flip turn another 25 meters and turn around. Right. When you're in this open water, there's no flip turns. There's no wall. There's no, there's no, there's no ground that you can, you know, rest on. Right. It is like straight. And I didn't have a wetsuit on. And it is just like, you know, I suffered the first 25 meters. So I was scared. My heart was pumping. And I just like immediately the first 50 meters that I, I just went right to my back. And I think I swam most of the race uh, of the swim part on my back. And it took me like, it took me probably like you know, until I got to, uh, to the 900 meter mark for me to finally get comfortable. And, you know, and let me just, I know how to swim. I'm comfortable in the water. Um, and then I just turned, started the side stroke. And then I started to get comfortable at probably like 1200 meters. And I just started the freestyle. And I was like, okay, I think I got this. And then all I had to do was just get to the, you know, just finish it. Once I got out of the water, I was finishing this race. You're going to have to tackle me. You're going to have to finish this. But my brother saw me struggling in the beginning. And he's just like, pull him out. To him, to my girlfriend at the time, he's like, pull him out. Pull him out. He's not going to make it. Pull him out. Get him. Get him. Rescue him. And, um, but I, I was able to finish it. And 
And, you know, the next year did the half, did the half Ironman. And in Maryland, I did a, a full Ironman. And, you know, you want to talk about emotional. Um, that was like the pinnacle thing I wanted to do was to do an Ironman. And, um, and was able to accomplish that. And again, I wanted more, right? Again, Maryland was flat, but I wanted to do a, uh, a late, I wanted to do a, a real, not to say Maryland wasn't real, but I wanted to do a, a challenging, more challenging Ironman because they, they, are, they are out there. Obviously, Kona is the, you know, the pinnacle, right? But um, Lake Placid is another um, uh, big time, tough event. And that's what I wanted to do. So um, this year, I, I had signed up for uh, a half Ironman in Virginia. I signed up for Lake Placid. I did the Virginia um, half iron, half distance Ironman, uh, but hurt my back for the right three about four weeks before Lake Lake Placid, and then had to drop out. So uh, definitely um, a blow to the to the psyche, right? But luckily, I, you know, I, I I have a program, right? I I don't want to I don't want to not mention that through this whole period of time that there, there are still recovery taking place, right? Because um, I, I am an addict and just because I'm not using drugs doesn't mean that my behaviors aren't uh, thinking about ways to fill the void. And, and um, you know, COVID was definitely a, a, a challenging time for everyone. Um, and I had to pivot, you know, physical meetings for, for uh, online zoom meetings and it worked for me for a while and you know kept me clean and um you know next year there's always next year and i'll probably just sign up for you know just one event maybe two uh, but i do want to try lake placid again um but now it's just a matter of just trying to stay fit trying to stay fit trying to stay clean so is lake placid the ultimate goal right now Right now, Lake Placid is it, man. I, I want, I want to. That's like the top of your list right now. Yeah, that's it. That's 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 my bucket list, man. Um, and now, is it safe to say that that's it, or is that just next? Because I don't know if you're like me, but like, I know that like I have I have goals, but I also know that like if I check off everything on my goal, I'm just gonna make another one, because that's just how my brain works. So do you, is there, is there anywhere that's going on in the back of your mind? That's just like Lake Placid is next, but we know that there's going to come up with something else like a hundred, a hundred mile race or something. Yeah, man. Lake Placid is, is next. I want to do that successfully. Um, but I, I, I do want a hundred K. So, so Lake Placid isn't it. It's just next. No, nah, Lake Placid is just next. I do want a hundred K. Um, I do know in an event, um, a couple of events that, that host it, um, do want a hundred K and I do, and I do want a hundred miler, but I have to also remember, man, I'm, I'm, I'm 52. I do still have some in the tank. I can fuck that. Do it. Hey, fuck that <laughs> age. Hey, ah, bro. I'm, I'm with you until everything except age like that. You might not go out there and you might not get any crazy times. You might not break any course records, but I don't give a shit how old you are. You can get it done. And I've seen people do it, man. I've seen uh, when the Intuitive Mountain they have these uh, they have these guys, these old timers. These guys were probably in their eighties. They made they were sharing, they were sharing uh, relaying the race, but they were still doing it. So I know it's possible. Um, 
I know it's possible and, 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 and I can do it. Um, but, you know, sometimes my disease says to me, you, you know, you're, you're getting older, right? You're, you're, you're not going to be able to, you're not as young as you used to be. And sometimes my disease will, will uh, talk me out of some things, but thank you for, for that dose of reality and letting me know that and reminding me that. Um, age is nothing but a number. And as long as you train for it and you, you set your mind to it, um, people have done uh, far greater things at, 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 a, at a much older age. I know, I know that if you, uh, if you have something that's even remotely close and with enough notice, you have at least one person signed up to be on your pacing team here. <laughs> right, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put myself, I'll put myself out there. I commit it. I'm saying it out loud. I'm saying it live. You will, <laughs> you will have, you will have my support on your crew team and, and pacing if I possibly can, you know, whatever, whatever I can possibly do to help you out. Um, you know, as long as my running coach approves it, because I'm, I'm trying to qualify for Boston myself right now. But, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever I can do to help at the very least crewing for you and, and having some shit out there. But you you definitely don't have to go out there attacking this shit alone. That's no, for and, shit. And I, one thing I've learned is, is that um, I don't I'm not alone um, in, in a lot of the things that I do. There are so many people um, out there that even in my 12 step program that are very helpful because I, I, I cannot do this alone. And, and when I am alone, I'm in bad company. Um, but the more that I uh, put myself out there, make myself vulnerable and allow people uh, in my life, um, you know, the, the more that I can accomplish. And, and, and that's part of the humility factor. Um, allowing sure. people to help you and um, you know, help you achieve some of the goals that you're, that you're trying to trying to achieve. For sure. Now, this part is going to kind of, it goes back to uh, your using days a little bit as we kind of go back and forth as I'm kind of thinking of some of these questions, but so you, you and your brother are, you're, you're both using at the same time at, at, you know, for, I don't know how many years exactly, but you're both using for, for at least quite a little while at the same time. Did you, did you, did you both know that you were both doing the same drug? Was there, was there times where you were out like doing your ripping and running together or oh, yeah. were you, were you kind of essentially just both in your disease on at the same time, but in different places? No, we, we definitely overlapped. Um, you know, it was a very, especially when it was, you know, crack cocaine, that was a very awkward um, period of time where we both kind of knew and felt that it wasn't right. Um, but, you know, the disease is making the decisions, right? The disease put all that stuff to the side. And, and we, we, we definitely used uh, crack cocaine together. And, uh, How old were you when you found out that he was also doing the same thing? Probably when I was in, you know, working for Red Lobster and um, in the early nineties, because he was he was living he actually lived in South Plainfield, right? So South Plainfield was just that place that um, that yeah, probably ten minutes. He probably, Michael probably lived like maybe five minutes away from the spot, right? And maybe fifteen minutes away from where I worked. So we were we were just in that 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 area um, that we could use together. And um, sometimes we would you know pass each other and then you know hook up at his place, but. We definitely used together, and it was definitely a just a terrible uh, feeling 
uh, and, and even looking, maybe talking about it now is just a just, just a terrible um, situation that uh, I was in as you know, as the older brother, you know, not not um, providing a good example, not providing a model, making it seem like it's okay to do what we're doing, and um, it was just just a bad experience. I mean, I could, I could understand, I could understand that, but what's most important is that you're both in recovery together now as well. Absolutely. And to, and to be able to share that, I think far outweighs the, the bad times that you had to share together back then. Cause now you get to share recovery together and you get to share happiness and, and these moments, you know, just like he's, he's back to looking, he's, he's back to looking back up to you like the big brother again. And that, <laughs> I don't even want to say back to like, if he ever stopped, um, but you know, like I said, man, just it's, I, I, I could, I could repeat myself till I'm blue in the face and it wouldn't even close to justify how, how much he spoke about you. Like the, the, I, I almost wish it was still recording just so you can hear like the, just the way he was talking about you and then just like texting immediately after and, and to get us connected. Like he just, the way he just like lit up to just talk about how much he like looked up to all the stuff you were accomplishing and, and, you know, between your recovery and all the, and all the stuff that you've done in the endurance world and whatnot, it's just like, he, he, he there's volumes aren't loud enough to, to comprehend the way he speaks of you, man. It's, it was, it was special. And it just, it was like a no brainer. I was like, I'm, I'm getting the man on, getting the man on here. Like, let's go. I want to hear this story too. Yeah. It's, it, um, we, we definitely had a, had a, a rough road, even though it was, it was paved so nicely for us as, as children, right? Um, but we just didn't want to go on that road. We, we wanted to take the, 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 the harder path. Um, but it, it, it shaped us into the people that we are today. Um, and, and, you know, as much as my brother, you know, may have said about me, uh, I think it's just a, a credit to him and the type of person that, that he is. Um, I mean, because, you know, again, as highly recruited as he was in, in high school and all of the colleges that were just, just oozing all over themselves for this guy and wanting them to be, to go to their school. Um, and just, that just shows you some of the, just the, just a glimpse of the athleticism that he had and just the type of person that he is um, today. Uh, we are definitely not the people that we were um, back then, but the people that we are today is definitely uh, part of the reason that is because of the, we've gone through so much and been through so much and achieved uh, just so much by staying, by getting clean and getting out of that, that lifestyle um, that uh, you know, we just become better, better people overall. Yeah, I love it, man. And it's just, like I said, that, that bond is just special for sure. Uh, now for our listeners, for our listeners out there that are, that are struggling to either put down the drink or the drug that might still be using, or for those that are trying to look for the motivation or something that they need to hear today to not pick up the drink or the drug, what words could you give? Could you give that listener that might prevent them from either picking up the drink or help them put it down today? from the drink or the drug? You know, one of the things that I, I hear in, in, in the rooms um, is that, you know, 
you don't have to use, right? Um, you don't have to use, and, and there are people that have been through far worse situations that, that, that I have been through um, and have made it, uh, made it out clean. Um, but doing it on your own uh, is, is difficult. It can be done. Um, but if you, if, if you found that you continue to keep going back to um, picking up by using on your own, then you may need some help. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there have been so many people, um, well-accomplished uh, people, that have gone into a 12-step program, whether it's alcoholic or not, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous, Gambling Anonymous, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, so many people um, that, that are accomplished have gone through um, a 12-step program or gotten help and, and, and made it out. So I guess the biggest thing is like, you don't have to use. There is another, there is a better way. And um, the only thing that, if you're anything like me, um, I, was, I was just one, one incident away from um, jail, institution, or death. Like that was, that was the next stop for me. And uh, fortunately, I, I put the drug down because I admitted that I had a problem and that I needed help. And I think that's the biggest thing people who are struggling today, if they can just come to grips and just say it and, and, and just find a, a hotline um, you know, find a, a, a room and, and just put your hand up and say, listen, I, I need help. And um, you will, you will get it, but you got to ask for it. For sure, man. That's, that's super, super powerful stuff. I absolutely love that, man. That it definitely means a lot. I think it, I think it hits a lot and, and hopefully our listeners out there that might be having a rough day, uh, while they're listening to this episode, hopefully, hopefully that hits some of them right there, and hopefully it hit them hard, um, and making them making them do some thinking there. So I know we got we got Lake Placid as as the next goal, you know, goals beyond that. Um, I love it, and and again, you know, one of the reasons your brother said that I would love this interview as well is again the the endurance aspect because my next goal is to qualify for the Boston Marathon. After that, I would like to get an Ironman under my belt. Um, I just have so many goals, you know, and then just, I could, I could probably go on for, for hours, just talking about all the things I would like to do. Um, and just got to try and figure out the the correct order to try and attack those. Um, but I, I just love it. I, I would love to, I don't know where exactly in Pennsylvania you are, but I would love to link up for, for a little run sometime and, and just get in a, a or a weight training session or get, get something. And I think that would be a lot of fun. Allentown, man. Oh shit! I'm in Bethlehem, man. We're gonna link this up. Oh, we're gonna set we're gonna set this shit up for sure. I actually I actually have a 5K tomorrow night at Lehigh Parkway. Right on. Okay, I know exactly where that is. Yeah, I'm actually gonna try and I'm gonna if my knees hold. I've been dealing with some knee injuries, but if my knees holding up, I'm actually gonna try and set. I'm gonna try and go for a PR right now. My current PR is 22:30, and I'm gonna cool. try and I'm gonna try and beat that tomorrow. Hopefully. Good luck, man. Again, yeah, I'm I'm in uh, I'm in Allentown. Shit, yeah, man. If you uh, hopefully, man, you, hopefully we can maybe uh, maybe you can make it down there and uh, they they serve hot dogs after the race. Maybe you can stop down there. We can meet in person or something. All right, all right, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll text you. I got your number. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, anything else that you want to talk about today? Anything we forgot to pick up? Anything you want to cover? Anything you want to say to our listeners? Anything at all? The floor is yours. If if you have anything you want to promote, you want to shout out any businesses, anything at all, the, the floor is yours. If you have anything you want to point out right now. You know, I, I think what you are doing is incredible, man. Um, you know, one of the things in, in the, um, in my program, um, is, is having a, a good idea is one thing, right. But putting that into action is another, right. This, if, if, I would love to have a podcast, right? I would love to, to do what you're doing, right? But it was just an idea and I never took action on it, right? But to, to, to see and hear and now be a part of what it is that you are doing and the reason behind it is, is, is incredible, man. So I, again, the only thing I want to promote is, 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 uh, is ODAT one day at a time and what you're doing uh, and, and who you're bringing to the table um, because, you know, Rex Chapman, right? Rex Chapman, um, finally, um, you know, he had a long bout with, uh, with addiction and, you know, he has a podcast too, right? And he's bringing in people uh, with, with addictions, with mental health, mental uh, illness, right? And he's doing, you know, all of that, right? I'm not going to get on Rex Chapman's, you know, thing, right? But I get to be on yours, man. And that is one of the biggest things and tell my story. And my brother was able to do the same thing, right? So people that have a story, people that have um, a, a sports background, people that have recovery background, and he can blend those two things. Um, and, and, you know, I'm just a regular person, right? And for you to be able to bring... Um, that to a platform that you're bringing it to, I think is phenomenal. And um, hats off to you, hats off to everything that you're doing, hats off to your family that supports you while you're doing it. And uh, I just think you're doing a wonderful thing, man. And I'm, I'm just appreciative to be a part of it. Oh man, you're making me blush. Those kind words mean a lot. And make sure that when, when you text me later on, make sure you spell out exactly how, how uh, your PayPal address is spent, you know, for, for remembering to say that before I told you, before we started recording. Um, so now you'll, you'll get that payment that we talked about. Sure. <laughs> no, but seriously, man, thank you so much for those kind words. That really does. It means a lot. And, you know, this is, this is exactly why I'm doing it, man. So, uh, you know, and, and to just be completely honest and just put all cards on the table, this, this all started, um, for selfish reasons. Staying fit. ODAT started one day when I was dealing with a broken ankle and I couldn't run and I wanted to be around other people who are in recovery and, and obsessed with fitness the way I am. And so it all started off for selfish reasons because I wanted to be around other people, but as it continued to grow, I just realized how much it means to me, how much it means to others. And it just, it just became everything to me. Like, you know, just every single day, just trying to put time into this group and, and the Facebook page and the podcast. And it's just, it's become like an obsession. It's be, you know, like you said, our, our, our addiction battles on into to all the different parts of life. Um, I just genu I, I believe that it's it's up to me how I control it. Like people say all the time now, oh well, yeah, you're an alcoholic. Of course, you're addicted to running. Uh, don't you think you're just replacing one addiction with another? 
well, yeah, I'm replacing one addiction with another, but I'm okay with this. Right. Like I'm, I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it. I'm not going to try and deny it. I'm addicted to running. I'm obsessed with running. I'm, I'm addicted to talking about recovery. I'm obsessed with speaking about it out loud. I am not anonymous. I am as far from anonymous as you could possibly be. I'm very open. I'm an advocate. I'm obsessed with it. I'm addicted to it, but you know what? I'll take all of this shit, all of this over one drink. For sure. Oh, yeah. Because I know where one drink, I, I know where one drink is going to take me. I don't know where any of this is going to take me. And I want to find out. Right. I really want to find out. I want to find out where qualifying for Boston is going to take me. You know, I, I talked about this, like my, my son was 16 days old when, when I had my last drink. And so when I see him walking around now, when I see him acting a fool and goofing around and whatnot, and like, I look at him and I, I think of that as my sobriety. It's like, that's how, that's how old my sobriety is. That's how big my sobriety is. Like mm. it, it's, it's running around. It's, it's learning different things. It's learning. Like it's, it's, it's mischievous. It's getting into things. It's, it's having fun. And it's like, that's to me, that's how much I've, I've grown and how much my sobriety has grown and where my recovery is taking me. And, you know, now he, he's running 50, um, 50 yard dashes for the healthy kids running series. And this just meant like shout out to the healthy kids running series. And, and then right now, like he ran one out in McCungy and he did really well with it. And then he did the Allentown one and he did well with that. And now they just reached back out to me. And I like, I was showing up early. I was helping hype up the kids for all the different age groups and whatnot, but she reached out and she was like, when you register Bronx for the race, let me know. So I can Venmo you back the registration because I want Bronx in for free. The two of you are awesome. We want you both there. Um, we want to comp his registration is so much fun. And I'm like, man, like we would not be having this conversation if I was still drinking right. because I wouldn't give a shit. I'd be worried about how I can get to the bar and still being hung over on a Sunday morning, not waking up. And I go tell him like, now I say on Sunday mornings, he like, he's to the point where he's getting old enough. He understands Sunday morning. I'm training people for a couch to 5k right now. And it's people in recovery. So we go out and we hit the trail and I say, Bronx, what are we going to do today? And he looks around and I say, it's Sunday. Are we going to go hang out with daddy's friends? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what are we doing? When we hang out with daddy's friends. And he go on your market set, go, which is how he says racing. And I'll go <laughs> grab his shoes and God forbid I grab the wrong shoes and he'll go and he'll put them back and he'll say, no, we got to get Bronx's running shoes. We got to go daddy. I need Bronx's running shoes. And it's like, he knows what shoes are meant for running and he's ready to go. And like, we had him out at the track and he's running his little sprints and it's, it's just, it's so cool. Like it just, and these are things that would not be possible if I wasn't sober right now, because I wouldn't be putting that first. And I don't know what I would be putting first. And honestly, I don't want to find out because I know where that shit is going to take me, but I really want to find out where this is going to take me. And, you know, I love it. And it's, it's all in part to, to, to the, to the men and women, just like yourself that show up and give me the ability to sit here for, for two and a half hours, hearing your life story and getting to hear it in detail and getting to hear this cool stuff, man, it's, you know, this is what keeps me sober for another day. And I absolutely love this. So again, kudos to you for being here, for showing up, for not being afraid to tell your story, for, for recovering out loud with us today. And this is just, this is what this shit is all about. And we're trying to break the stigma. We don't want people to think that they have to, they have to be quiet and be ashamed of this anymore. Shout out from the rooftop. I'm Miguel. I'm an alcoholic. You know, like your, like your brother said, he, he said it funny as hell when I said, you know, how do you identify as yourself an alcoholic and addict? And he says, I'm a crackhead. 
And it's like, you know, that's like, that's, that's the, the, the humor behind it. Like, you know who you were, but you're not that person anymore. Like right. my past, my past is my past. It won't dictate my future. And that's, I love that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much again. So on behalf of everyone here with staying fit, ODAD nation, on behalf of everyone on the Facebook group, on the podcast, on all social medias, on behalf of everybody out there in recovery, we want to thank you so much for taking the time with us today to share your story, Robert. It truly was a blessing. This was a lot of fun. The Lofton boys have stories for days. I now can officially say I have about four and a half hours of Lofton stories, and I absolutely love it. This is so cool. This is it's it's awesome stuff, man. I'm smiling ear to ear. But again, on behalf of everyone, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. All that we ask you is to continue staying healthy, continue staying fit. And brother, tell us how you're doing it. One day at a time. Absolutely love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit Odet. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.